This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. It is our final show of 2019. Holiday break is coming up. We'll have a lot more fun stuff coming out in January. But a few things we want to get to before the year is over. I would love to figure out what the Brewers are doing. Uh, Matt wants to know if the Reds are really going to trade for Francisco Lindor. And uh, there's a couple of things we want to get to that we really enjoyed in 2019. Some things you're probably familiar with, maybe some things that you aren't. But first, what are the Brewers doing? I think they're trying sort of to win the NL Central and going about it in a bit of a weird way. They've had, uh, you can't say they've had the biggest offseason so far because like they didn't sign Garrett Cole and they didn't sign Steven Strasburg or Anthony Rendon. But I feel like they've had the most interesting. Uh, here is a brief and almost full list of players that they have lost from last year's team. Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandel, Travis Shaw, Eric Thames, Jesus Aguiar in the middle of the season, uh, Drew Pomerantz, Junior Guerin, Matt Albers, Gio Gonzalez, Chase Anderson, Kyle Davies, uh, Zach Davies. I can never remember which one. I think Zach Davies, Jimmy Nelson. There's a whole bunch of guys. There's like a dozen guys they've lost. And on the other side, they've imported uh, Avisel Garcia, Justin Smoke, Eric Sogard, Ryan Healy, Brett Anderson, Josh Lindblom, uh, Eric Lauer, Omar Narvaez, and Luis Arias. Uh, they have turned over like 40% of their roster. The, the, the guys that they have lost, uh, the hitters combined for over 2,500 plate appearances and about nine wins above replacement. And the guys that they have imported were about 2,300 plate appearances and six wins above replacement. It's kind of hard to say that they're better or worse. And in fact, you might say they're exactly the same. Uh, a writer for The Athletic, Derek Van Riper, wrote that including Smoke, his back of the napkin math uh, through Steamer, the projections has the Brewers exactly the same, but with about $25 million less on their payroll, which seems to indicate there is something more to come. It's kind of fun to see like all this slicing and dicing and maneuvering with no actual, like, real clear improvement. <laughs> the Brewers have been one of the more well-run franchises in the last few years. And, I mean, I guess that's not maybe not the shocking of a thing to say because, you know, they were within one game of the World Series in 2018 and were in the wild card game in 2019. Yeah. But um, the fact that they continue to put winning teams in the field with basically a name like a faceless, like, pitching staff and um, kind of – Finding other than Hader, kind of mixing and matching relievers. You know, they they turned Drew Pomerantz into like a lights out reliever for three months, and then let him go as a free agent. So they 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 seem to have a plan and know what they're doing, and they often make moves out of nowhere. That's also another thing that's kind of cool about them is like they're one team where like these trades will pop up, and it's like I had no there was no feel that that was coming. Like the the trade they made with the um, with San Diego with San right, Diego. Yeah. I was like, wait, when how did this happen? So. Um, it's and as you noted, they they have the the big drop in payroll as of now, which seems like they maybe would do something big. There's not that many guys left who are big, right? Like Josh Donaldson would be a tremendous fit. Um, you know, they could certainly use a starting pitcher. Maybe that's Keiko or Hyunjin Ryu, or I don't know, taking 
trying to take on a David Price contract or something like that. Because if you go down their roster and you look at the steamer projections, they have a lot of holes, right? So I have the listings right here. They're 21st at catcher. Well, they already traded for Narvaez, so they're not going to do anything else there. And 17th at first base, that includes Smoke. Uh, eighth at second, because Keston Hira is going to hit pretty well, even though he's not a great fielder. And here's the real trouble spots. 24th at shortstop, 29th at third base, and 21st in starting pitcher. And obviously very good in the outfield, 18th and left, 8th in center, 2nd in right, because Christian Yelich is great. Although I'm not entirely sure if he's going to end up playing left, if Braun's going to play first base, or where Garcia's going to fit in. That'll be complicated. And 5th in relief. So it sure seems to me the left side of the infield is a tremendous weakness because Orlando Arcia uh, did not play like a major league caliber player last year. Urias didn't really hit and is probably more of a second baseman uh, than a shortstop. And then they say signed today, Eric Sogard, who um, I'd forgotten about this was actually on the Brewers before. And in 2018, they released him twice that year. He hit 134, 241, 165. He got cut, signed to a minor league deal and then cut again from the minors for a, <laughs> a roster spot. Uh, he got a two year deal because he just came off a really like good season for him. He just had a 116 OPS plus for the Rays and Jays. He had uh, a career-high 13 homers. I'm a little skeptical about that. That's partially because everybody in baseball had 13 homers this past year. Uh, his hard hit rate of 20% was in the third percentile. That means 97% of hitters have a better hard hit rate. And the average distance of his home runs of the 269 players with 10 homers was 269th. <laughs> <laughs> that that tells you something. He's fine as like a, a competent backup because uh, here is not a great defender. They don't legitimately do not have a third baseman right now. Um, Josh Donaldson. Hint, hint. I mean, it's it's. In, they, they, I mean, no one's really talked about them in the Donaldson conversation simply because there's kind of no expectation that they would they would like play at that level in the free agent market, especially when like the Nationals are out there lurking. The Rangers may or may not be lurking. Braves. The Braves. So it's like there's it's kind of the belief that like, well, if the Nationals want this guy, they're going to get him over the Brewers because the Nationals are a team as much as any team other than maybe, you know, maybe more than a team but like have shown a willingness to completely go all in on free agents when they decide they want them. Someone, So I tweeted uh, earlier today, like, oh, I'm, I'm all in now on the Brewers getting Josh Donaldson. And someone replied to me with a tweet that actually makes considerably more sense. They're going to trade for Kyle Seeger. Right, they're not going to outbid the Braves and the Nationals for Donaldson. The Mariners have been surprisingly quiet. You kind of feel like Jerry Depoto's got an itchy trigger finger right now, trying to make a trade. I could see that. I guess if they're willing just to kind of eat the money, doesn't Kyle Seager have like that poison pill in his contract yes, where if he gets he traded, the, the player op- the team option becomes a player option? It, it's, it's still not that big of a contract. I don't have it handy, and he played pretty well last year. That that makes a fair. <laughs> I mean, it's, otherwise, it's what like Todd Frazier. Oh, I, mean, I forgot who, he was still out there. Yeah, who's left at third base? <laughs> it's 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 not Michael Franco because he's not that good anyway, and he just signed with Kansas City. Um, yeah, no, the the, Seager, the the them is a fit for Seager, especially since like their payroll is pretty modest, and they probably if they were willing, kind of just I mean, take Seager's contract, they probably wouldn't need to give up much to get him. He'd be he'd be an upgrade for this. So it sort of satisfies a couple things where like the Mariners don't really need him at their stage in rebuilding, and he would also be uh, an upgrade. Uh, for the Brewers, you know, one man's not trash, but I don't say Tigger's trash, but one man's trash, another man's treasure. In this case, it seems like it would it would it would apply. I also think a big deal for the Brewers is whether or not they can get a Lorenzo Cain rebound last year. Like Lorenzo Cain, kind of quietly last year was really not very good. Uh, in his first season with Milwaukee in 2018, he was fantastic, and then last year had an 83 weighted runs created plus. 
that was down from 124 the year before. So if you looked at everybody who had 400 plate appearances in both seasons, that drop of 41 points was sixth largest. That's bad. Uh, but interestingly, his hard hit rate was up. He had more barrels last year. He had 19, up from 15. And he hit into the third most hard hit outs in Major League Baseball, like hard hit being 95 miles an hour and above. If you look at his line drive batting average the last couple of years, it was 770, 761, 700, and then last year, 593. So that feels like a little bit of poor fortune, but also we know he was playing through uh, a bad knee and he had an ankle injury. His sprint speed did drop from 28.6 to 27.8. So maybe if he's a little healthier, finds a little bit better luck, he's still hitting the ball hard for him. I mean, that's good. And while on paper, the... The Brewers have one of the more set outfields in baseball with um, Ryan Braun in left, Kane in center, Yelich in right. They did just give uh, Eviso Garcia a two-year deal, which actually, for them, to give like a backup outfielder a two-year $20 million deal seems a little out of character. But I think that they're kind of acknowledging the fact that, okay, Yelich is coming off injury, Braun's old, Kane in up and down year, like Garcia – despite being a quote-unquote fourth outfielder here, they're, pay, they're, they're paying him more than most fourth outfielders get paid. So he's kind of insurance, it seems like, of acknowledging that, hey, maybe these guys shouldn't be expected to play 150 games. Maybe we should be targeting 135 games for the, the main the main three guys. Well, don't forget also that Braun will probably play some first base because they just signed uh, Justin Smoke, who, while he is a switch hitter, has always had big splits. Like He's much better against righties than he is lefties. So that's like a pretty natural place for Ryan Braun to slot in there. It is part. It's. I think I find it interesting what they did at first base. They had, they had Travis Shaw, they had uh, Eric Thames, they had Mustakas. who were all kind of like yes, well Shaw and Mustakas can't play second base. And all kind Aguiar of, as well. Yeah, <laughs> but they've like basically flooded the market with these guys by letting jettisoning them, and then they went and signed Smoke for a little less than those guys would have been. I think you know Shaw was arbitration eligible. Yeah, you know, an option. Well, Shaw was awful last year. Yes, uh, and and Thames had a uh, he had a seven and a half million dollar option and a one million dollar buyout. So he was actually better than Smoke was last year, and it's kind of interesting that they declined that option to sign Smoke for like a million and a half less than the overall cost. Yeah, it's um. I guess I guess we'll see. I mean, the Smoke there's you know, Smoke is one of those players from a Statcast perspective who has a profile that's a little hard to pin down because like because he hit the ball really hard, but he gets shifted. So it's sort of like you don't really know how much extra credit we should give him for hitting really hard ground balls into the shift. Right. But he had a players with 250 plate appearances last year. He had the second largest negative gap between expected weighted on base and actual weighted on base um, behind only Mar- Marcelo Zuna. So maybe there's a little more in there than what we saw. Taking into account that he's one of the slowest players in baseball. Right. Even that said, there might be a little bit more there than um, – than we saw from the raw production in 2019. I, I do always like a lefty power hitter going to Milwaukee. Like, yeah. I don't think that's what made Kristen Yelich, you know, <clears throat> essentially the best hitter in the league the last two years, but it sure didn't hurt either. And, we, you know, we've seen in the recent years, Eric Thames go there from yeah. Korea, blow up. Uh, Travis Shaw had two 30 home run seasons. I think so. Moustakis. Moustakis. So it's, 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 uh, it's not a coincidence. As we said, the Brewers have a way of doing things um, that uh, you, they usually have, they've been very good at finding margins and like little ways to to beat you uh the brewers play in the nl central which is maybe one of the most confusing divisions in baseball right now i think for the last couple years you could argue maybe it was the the most competitive right like last year all five teams went into the year thinking they had a chance to win obviously they didn't all have a chance but they were attempting to and now we know that pittsburgh's exploding at all um the cubs are kind of stuck in place they haven't really done anything whatsoever 
the Cardinals have signed uh, uh, some pitching, but they still need a bat. And, uh, you know, we just talked about Milwaukee. And then you have the Reds who, like, seem really excited to go for it. And now there's a rumor from Mark Feinstein from MLB.com who claims that the Reds have been engaged with the Indians and talk about Lindor, which is fascinating. And I think of all the Lindor rumors might make the most sense um, for, for, you know, like Lindor has mostly been linked to the Dodgers, I guess. Is that, is there, who else has like really been linked to Lindor? No one. That's, that's really the only team that there's really been like direct heat on, but the Reds make a ton of sense because as Mike alluded to, they've been showing like, Hey, we want a quote unquote win. Now they made that Trevor Bauer trade at the deadline, which was kind of as much for 2019 as it was for 2018, knowing that he was under team control. Well, 2020. It's yeah, sorry, 2020 yeah. as it was for 2019, knowing he was under team control through 2020. Um, they just signed Moustakis and, and, Wade Miley. And, and Wade Miley. And they also have a number of, and we talked about this when we, a recent, in a previous podcast, we talked about Moustakis. They now have a couple of top prospects that don't really have great fits on their current roster. One of whom is like basically a major league right now, Nick Senzel. He's their, he's, I mean, he's their starting center field. I know, but like, I mean, I'm still like, we still don't, it's not a position he ever really played. I know. And, it's unclear how good of a hitter he's going to be. That was like, one of the reasons I didn't love the Mustakas deal is because Senzel should be playing second base with like an actual outfielder. <laughs> so they've got Senzel, who I think would, at this point would then become expendable. And also Jonathan India, their top five pick another years, a couple years ago, was a third baseman who was a double A last year, um, who's not a high ceiling guy, but is a good prospect. Um, so with those two guys potentially expendable, you start to see maybe there's a trade. This was, you know, earlier this week on MLB.com, um, we had a group of folks uh, put together a story coming up with, um, you know, trades for um, they made up tra- six Lindor trades that might make sense. And they had one for the Reds. Um, they they saw this coming before uh, even the the masses did. And what they proposed was the Reds get Francisco Lindor and Delano De Shields, a true center fielder whose basic only we'll skill get to that in a is, second. <laughs> is playing defense. Uh, Indians get Nick Senzel, Freddie Galvis, a, a big leaguer to play shortstop. They're good defensive. Um, Jonathan India. And right-hander um, Tony Santillan, the Reds' number four prospect. So Sandel's no longer a prospect. Their number one prospect now is um, Hunter uh, Green. Still, I think I'm. Uh, uh, but anyway, Sandel, for all intents and purposes, still a prospect. Freddie Galvis, Jonathan India, and Tony Santillan. It, it, at least it's it, something in that framework passes the smell test for me. Um, you know. Before last year, the Reds had never had a payroll. Their payroll last year was in the $150 million range. Before that year, they'd never topped $119 million. Right now, their um, competitive balance tax number, um, according to COTS baseball contract, is at $139. So assuming they're willing to increase their payroll from last year, which seems... They were in on Zach Wheeler, right? So there's money there. So, um, which would mean they would be willing. I mean, Lindor is going to make like 17 million arbitration this year, and then probably 25 million next year. So you have to account for that. But like, you know, you can see there's there's a, a lot of different reasons why that why that makes sense. I looked up the shortstop projections on Fangraphs to see what teams were ranked via Steamer. Uh, do you know where the Reds are currently projected at shortstop? Where? 30th. <laughs> now, I think that's underrating Freddie Galvis a little bit. Like, yeah. He's a, a good defender with like a decent bat, but it's not what you want. Yeah. Um, obviously, Lindor would be an upgrade on most shortstops. Uh, do you feel like we don't think about him as being as great as he is because he got off to a slow start last year? Like, Have we forgotten that he's one of the elite superstars in baseball? I, I certainly have not. Well, 
since he, he just turned 26. Uh, since 2015, he's got 27 wins above replacement via fan graphs. That is basically tied for third most in baseball behind Trout and Betts with like Yelich, Donaldson, Chris Bryant, Altuve, Nolan Arenado. Even last year, he had 32 homers with 22 stolen bases. Uh, he posted a four-win season after missing most of April. And he has elite defense uh, looking at infield outs above average, which I swear to you all will be coming out in January. I promise you on the record, it is done. You can play with it in January. He was plus eight in 2017, plus 12 uh, in 2018, and plus 11 in 2019. He is a true superstar, and I don't know why Cleveland would give him up for anything. They're a contending team, right? What's happening in Cleveland? I don't know. I mean, they just traded Corey Quinn. And, I mean, th- there might just be a sentiment within baseball circles that Corey Cooper is, you know, done, and that they, you know, they decided to basically sell low on Kluber before they couldn't sell him at all. And they just made the determination that, like, you know what, like, we think that, like, he's not going to give us anything. And also, the Indians have been very good at developing um, very good starting pitching, often from guys who are not really huge prospects. And so maybe they're like, you know, we believe in our ability to, to produce pitching. Let's get ourselves an elite relief prospect, shed a bunch of payroll, and also get, you know, the shield. But well, and it, yeah, I mean, it's putting a lot on Emmanuel Classe. You know, he's like a 21 year old. Sure, he throws 101. But if he doesn't pan out, I mean, DeShields has no upside at this point. No, I mean, it's 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 a salary dump. It's them saying, you know, you would obviously if you're the Indians, and you know, if I were an Indians fan, as and seeing them as with the roster they have now, I'd be hoping, okay, now what are they what can they do now to improve their roster because their outfield situation is still kind of just like it's been for years. I, I will say this: as much as I did not like that deal, there's a not small part of me that's really fascinated to see Terry Francona having Emmanuel Class A. James Karinchak and, and Brad Hand, like all to play with. That, that will be fun. It's it, the, the starting pitching in the bullpen is going to be um, very good, and if they keep Lindor, the team will stay very good. It also should, the thing about their, their outfield; it's so mediocre. It actually wouldn't be that hard to improve on it. I know. <laughs> like they could go sign a Corey Dickerson, and he'd be a huge upgrade for them. Um, Nick Castellanos. Um, you know? Yeah, I think he'd cost a little more, but. Uh, uh, that's why I mentioned Dickerson will probably cost a cost a little bit, a little bit less. But the Indians remain one of the more fascinating teams. There's the smoke on this will not will not go away. So I kind of think Lindor is going to get traded. I'm not saying there's a good reason for it, but I kind of think the smoke to continues. The Reds, to the Reds yeah. or the Dodgers? I don't know. Somewhere. So on top of that, Robert Murray, who was recently with the Athletic, tweeted that the uh, the Indians Mike Clevenger is drawing trade interest uh, among teams with the interest the Dodgers and the Padres. I, I don't think there's going to be a Clevenger-Lindor trade to the Dodgers because, I don't know, the Dodgers would have to find 24-year-old Sandy Koufax to send back in return. But if you just traded Co- uh, uh, Kersh- Kershaw, Koufax, Kluber, if you just traded Kluber uh, and you traded Bauer last year, how do you also trade Mike Clevenger? How does that actually work? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, it's No one really knows what's going on there. I, I mean, I will say, despite the, I'll, I'll contradict myself a little bit, that... Um, Chris Antonetti, the uh, Indian head of baseball operations, has said on numerous occasions, my expectation is that Francisco Lindor will be our opening day shortstop. But, you know, he that's uh, remains to be seen. I'm, 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 I, I like action. I like trade. So I'm sort of hoping we see something just for the entertainment value. But, uh, I, you know, I've been thinking that as well. Like there's this, this trio of superstars who have been in trade rumors, right? Lindor, Betts, and Chris Bryant. And for a lot of people, a lot of reasons people are upset about that because, you know, they just want them to, to sign long-term deals and stay with their teams. And I, I generally agree with that. Like, I don't want all three of these guys to get traded, but I definitely want one of them to get traded because <laughs> that'll be super fun. Like, as you said, trades 
are interesting and cool. Like it wouldn't be great if all three of them moved, but if one of them does, I would I'd like that. And also, um, Mike has a piece coming out at MLB.com in which he ranks the ten biggest trades yes. of the decade. If Lindor gets traded, we might need to. Oh no! <laughs> revise no, that. I don't want. To. Can he get traded like January third, please? We might have to just put in the honorable mentions because it might be too early to uh, <laughs> too soon to to say. to to, to, uh, to judge it. But uh, I'll, I'll, while we're on the subject, I'll put in a plug for Mike's piece, uh, which is coming out in the next twenty four hours. That's a really good look back at some of the. Uh, craziest trades of the decade where he digs into what people were saying about the trade at the time. What was the one that surprised you most as you went back and looked at, uh, like what, what the, uh, what the viewpoint of it is it now? Yeah. Or what it was at the time, I should say. Well, I mean, I'll give away the number one because people will get to it anyway. The number one most important, most meaningful trade of the decade in my ranking was the deal that sent, uh, Will Myers from Kansas city to Tampa Bay for James Shield and Wade Davis. Jacob Erzy was in that deal as well. And, um, just going back and looking, everyone, Hated that deal, just completely crushed on it at the time for Kansas City because Kansas City had been bad for a decade. They didn't seem like a win now team. Um, they had like this is when they had the, you know the best ever giant air quotes here farm system. You know Mustakas and Hosmer and all these guys, and they had Jeff Francoeur in right field who had been terrible. And the answer was simple: put Will Myers in right field, everything will be fine. And then what happened? James Shields is pretty good. Wade Davis became a beast who they then traded for Jorge Soler. And Will Myers is just okay. (laughs) That one was surprising to me. Um, My favorite one to look back on, I think, was uh, the one that everybody was right about from day one, which was the Shelby Miller trade for Ender and Ciarte and Dansby Swanson. That was was funny. I mean, those two trades are similar in that, like, baseball's Twitter was completely in agreement on that this is trash. Yeah. Or like in one of them, baseball Twitter was kind of wrong about it. One of them were totally right about it. One that surprised me, looking, going back and looking at what people were saying about the time was the Zach Grinke trade by the Royals to the Brewers where the Royals got king. I forgot that like a lot of the uh, intelligentsia like uh, hated that trade. Yeah. They're like, oh, they didn't do, they didn't get enough for Grinky. Whereas like actually, you know, there are a lot of things you could say about Dayton Moore as a general manager, but he's had some big trades that have panned out pretty well. Pretty. Those two, the, the three trades we just mentioned: the trade where they got Wade Davis and James Shields, the trade where they got Lorenzo Cain, and the trade flipping one year of Wayne Davis. For, for Soler. Soler, which is actually a good segue <laughs> to our next segment. We, uh, Matt and I looked back at just some of the things we really liked this year uh, in baseball and in StatCast. And, you know, it's too simplistic to say, hey, I liked watching Mike Trout crush baseballs. Um, you know, I don't want to say these are under the radar stories because I can see that Matt has Ronald Acuna on his list. <laughs> uh, but just a couple of fun, interesting things uh, to end the 2019 season. So, you know, you mentioned Jorge Soler. Why don't you start up with him? What was, what was it about him? What I love about Jorge Soler this year that, and I didn't even realize this till today as I started um, researching this piece, that he led the majors in barrels this year, which I did not realize barrels, um, for those not familiar, is a stat cast metric that basically is designed to measure like the most optimal batted ball uh, quality, um, balls that are most likely to be extra base hits. Um, he led the league with 70 barrels this year. And there was a, he, there was a three-way tie for second between – uh, at 66 between uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Pete Alonso, and Mike Trout. Before the season, if you had given me like 50 guesses, who is going to lead the majors in barrels this year? Jorge Soler, I don't know if he would have been in my top 50. I'm not sure. I think I, that's pretty cool. I'm not sure I would have said he would have led the Royals in barrels <laughs> this year. So, yeah, no, so he had 48 home runs, which obliterated the Royals franchise record for home runs. And yes, I know everyone was hitting home runs this year. He had 48 homers. Previous record was 38 by Mike Moustakas a couple years ago. Um, he also had the third most extra base hits in a season in Royals history. 
behind Hal McRae in 1977 with 86 and George Brett in 1979 with 85. So um, Jorge Soler, he had a pretty good season, and I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, uh, we just picked like five or six things here. So the first one for me was just so obvious. I had to go right to Colin Pochet. Hmm. This is the world's foremost Colin Pochet standing podcast. Uh, in a combined 79 innings in the majors and minors, Colin Pochet had 120 strikeouts and 28 walks. He had a 35% strikeout rate. That is 19 of 341 guys with 50 major league innings. And he does it all with 90% four-seam fastballs that aren't even thrown that hard. He's got perfect backspin. Uh, he's actually number one on our pitch movement leaderboards for most vertical movement with fastballs. Uh, 29% better than league average. This was a guy who I think we talked about like two years ago before we really had any data. We saw him with like the, I don't know, Arizona farm system just posting absurd numbers uh, and then he got traded to the Rays and did exactly what I hoped he would explode with strikeouts. Although he gave up too many home runs, ERA over four. Uh, but don't say you didn't know anything about Colin Poche if you've been listening <laughs> to this podcast. Um, another thing I love this year uh, was something that I've talked about before on this uh, podcast is uh the emergence of Louise Arise um, in a world where there's a lot of strikeouts and there's a lot of homers and there's a lot of hitters who are coming to the plate with very similar approaches. I really enjoy any time I could see a player who does things a little bit differently. And Louise Arise is very much a player out of, I don't want to say the 1980s playbook, but like he definitely, you know, has that kind of, um, Tony Gwynn style of hitting where he's just trying to, you know, hit like spray line drives around the field. He actually had the, uh, what we call sweet spot rate in terms of, you know, optimal launch angle. He had a 42% sweet spot rate, which is fourth um, in the majors um, among batters, at least 300 balls in play. Number one was Mike Trout. Uh, number two was Whit Merrifield. Number three was Yadier Molina. Number four was Luis Arise. And number five was JD Martinez. It's a really interesting mix of names. Um, Arise hit, um, 344, three, uh, 334, 399, 439, and 366 plate appearances for the Twins. He had 36 walks and 29 strikeouts. A great, you know, also a great contrast to the rest of the uh, the Bomba That's squad. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> like just the type of player he is, you know, in the middle of a lineup with like Sano and Cruz and you know, all those monsters. Um, is is he sustainable? Is he going to be good next year? Um, there's something real there. I think just it's hard to sustain 334, and so you know if he hits. 290, 340, 400. Is he as good, you know, like, does he still look so good? Not really, but um, that's why I'm kind of interested to see. But in a, in, a, in a world where teams are so much more shift heavy and they might put guys on the field, they're a little less good at, a little maybe play them out of position because they know they could shift them. Well, when there's a player who's kind of shift proof, who is able to kind of, Hit him where they ain't, as they say. I'm, I'm very I'm very curious to see what he can do over a full season. I'm going to go um, from that to kind of a similar guy, just with more power. I really enjoyed DJ LeMahieu this year. And part of it was actually frustrating because, like, you know, everybody in New York went nuts and said he was going to be the MVP of the league, which was never, ever going to happen. Uh, DJ LeMahieu hit 327, 375, 518. That is the weighted runs created plus of 136. Obviously a really good season. Playing all over the infield for the Yankees due to injury. But what I really liked about him, and I think I wrote about this before the season, is he hopefully is going to be the guy we can always point to as the hitter who destroyed the Coors Field myth that you can't, you know, anything you compile at Coors Field, it doesn't count and you're only as good as your road stats are as a Rocky. It, it's not real. Last year, uh, 2018, as a Rocky, he had a 698 road OPS. Last year with the Yankees, an 818 road OPS. 
You would have thought that Matt Holiday would have explored that myth after like signing with the Cardinals and being or going to the Cardinals and being a dominant player for like six seasons. But you're right that that myth um, still persists. And yes, hopefully the fact that DJ LeMay who did it for the Yankees in such a high profile environment will at least uh, put the kibosh on that. And if you, and if you saw the chart I tweeted earlier today, uh, he was a really great bet. Uh, not just good contact, but also hard hit contact. If you look at 2016 through 2018, he had a top 25 uh, hard hit rate and also a top 25 strikeout rate, like low strikeout rate, which is, it's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up, you know, last off season, it was like, oh, the Yankees should, should John Machado. And they didn't really go and play in that end of the free agent pool last year. They instead went out inside of LeMahieu. What, two-year deal he got? Three-year deal? Two-year deal, yeah. It ended up being For one like of the more, million one of the more yeah. true deals of the uh of the offseason. I will stick with the Yankees uh, for mine, which is, um, you know, since StatCast began tracking 2015, sort of the original StatCast, like the OG StatCast god was Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, he obviously has not been the same player since he came to the Yankees uh, prior to the, what, prior to the 2018? What, yeah, 18. 18. 17, he won the MVP. 17 won the MVP um, prior to the 18th season. 18th season, he was fine, not great. And the 2019, was just hurt a lot. He actually only played in 18, 18 regular season games and had a 72 plate appearances. But on opening day, he hit a single with an exit velocity of 120.6 miles per hour off of Andrew Kashner. It would stand as the hardest hit ball I all season. I hated that so much. <laughs> I really did. First of all, that that would happen on opening day. And second of all, that it wasn't like a destroyed home group. You know, it was like, like a low line drive-ish ground ball kind of thing. I, I like it because it still just sort of speaks to uh, Stanton's ability to hit the ball as hard as anyone can hit it. And hopefully it speaks to what he will still be able to do and still be able to wow us in the future. If we're going to talk about guys who hit the ball hard, um, another name on my list of things I really enjoyed was Joey Gallo having this, I know he got hurt and didn't play the whole season, but at least at first having what looked like it was going to be the MVP breakout season. Everybody had hoped for while striking out more. (laughs) That was my favorite part. It wasn't, Oh, he finally like, you know, cut down on his swing and he made more contact. No, he struck out 38.4% of the time, and he had his weighted runs created plus jump all the way up to 144. And how did he do it? Uh, two reasons, really. Number one, he stopped chasing bad pitches. He cut his chase rate down by 7% points. That was the fourth biggest drop. And the second thing is, he stopped caring about the shift. This is always the thing. People are like, oh, go opposite against the shift. Go drop in a single. No. If you're Joey Gallo, destroy a baseball. You can look at the percentage of balls he went op- oppo against the shift, and it dropped. And he did all this while playing a competent center field. <laughs> it was like my favorite thing. Sadly, he got hurt and then like missed a bunch of the season. But I really hope he can sustain this next year. Another one of my favorite things, although it came after the season, was a couple weeks ago when the Rangers gave their tour of the new ballpark and they had like th- some of their players taking batting practice in a construction zone. And you could see like <laughs> Joey Gallo hitting dingers with like bulldozers in the background. I just sort of assumed that him doing that is what caused the fire in the park <laughs> the other day. It was like, it almost looked like one of those, like when you would play video, you can play baseball video games. They have like weird modes. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, like, let's play in construction side mode. And that's what it looked like. Um, so yeah, Joey Gallo. Um, I'm going to go on the other end of the spectrum and go to one of the players with maybe the least, among those with the least power in all of major league baseball did you know who the fastest player in the Major League Baseball this was this season was, according to Sprint Speed? Yes, I did. And I know that because yeah, he's from upstate New York, and our own Matt Kelly won't stop talking about him. Indeed. The pride of Ithaca College is Tim Locastro, in fact, the only pers- only alum from Ithaca College ever to play in the Major Leagues. Tim Locastro of the Diamondbacks led the majors in average sprint speed this year at 30.8 feet per second. He was 17 for 17 in stolen base attempts. 
and also amazingly was hit by 22 pitches in just 250 plate appearances. So he just had a kind of a remarkable season all around. He even hit, got hit by a lot of pitches going back to his days in the minors. So he might be one of those players where, you know, that's kind of a skill. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's going to be enough to make him a long-term major leader since um, he only hit uh, one home run in 250 plate appearances. But um, that combination, that um, his speed kind of, from my perspective, they came out of nowhere because I, no I had no idea he was that fast. And then also his stolen base efficiency being 17 for 17, I thought was uh, was pretty awesome. I remember him from the year before because he'd been a, uh, a Dodger minor leaguer. And they called him up like in September just to be a pinch runner and possibly be on the postseason roster. And then obviously they just said uh, he went to Arizona. One of my guys is uh, a guy I can legitimately say I had never heard of a year ago today. And as I'm starting to put together my top 10 lists at each position for MLB Network, I realize he's going to probably make the list. Nick Anderson. Oh, my God. A 29-year-old rookie who had 110 strikeouts in 65 innings. Uh, he had a 41.7% strikeout rate. That is the best ever from a rookie. And it was tied for 17th best all-time of anybody through 60 innings. He was with the Marlins, and then he got traded to the Rays. And with Tampa Bay, he had a 41-2 to strikeout-to-walk rate, plus eight more strikeouts and no more walks in the postseason. He only throws two pitches, 60% fastball, and 40% sort of a curve slider kind of thing. Uh, elite rise on the fastball, elite drop on the breaker. They seem like they sort of mirror each other. And by the end of the year, I, I remember, especially in the postseason series against Houston, uh, watching him come in, you just knew you were going to see absolute domination. This is a guy that Twins couldn't find a spot for on the 40-man a year ago. And this is a guy the Marlins didn't hang on to. And now I know the track record of 29-year-old rookie relievers sustaining for a great deal of time isn't great. But this was like out of nowhere, this guy. It was really cool to see. Um, and then, you know, he's with Poche on Tampa Bay. This is why I watch so many Rays games. <laughs> um, I think you're out of guys. So I'm going to go no, with my I got one guy. more guy. Who's your guy? My last guy. Um, and that's this is my non-random guy, um, Ronald Acuna uh, Jr. Yes. <laughs> this is one thing. All season, I sort of marveled at as good of a season as Ronald Acuna Jr. was having. Um, elite power, elite speed, 96 percentile sprint speed. I was shocked by how few doubles he was hitting. <laughs> and I went and looked it up today. Um, there have been 20 seasons in baseball history, 20 different seasons. Some of these have been done multiple times by the same player where a player had 35 home runs and at least 35 plus home runs and stolen bases. Um, Ronald Cudi Jr. had 22 doubles this season, which was by far, well, not by far, it was the fewest of anyone who has ever had 35 home runs and 35 steals in a season. Now, I know there's there's been some, he's had a reputation in the past of not hustling, Sometimes when he didn't run out home runs, my theory is actually that he was had his eye on 40-40 all season and wanted to get 40-40. So sometimes maybe he didn't um, look to go for doubles when uh, when he could have. Um, so I found that interesting and I was enjoyed that my hunch sort of lined up with um, what I had seen. Fun fact, in 2002, Alfonso Soriano had 39 home runs, 41 stolen bases, and 51 doubles. Only two other players in that group of 20 have ever topped 40 doubles um, in a 35-35 in a season. Uh, one of them was Alfonso Soriano in 2006. 2006, he actually went 40-40-40. Yeah. 40 doubles, 40 home runs, 40 doubles. Underrated great season. <laughs> I'm not sure we actually – there was like a six-year period where like Alfonso, Alfonso Soriano never walked. So that was like kind of – And like he wasn't a great second baseman. But he was a fantastic offensive player. My final guy here, and I like going for guys who um, – I. I predicted great things for two years ago, and then and they follows through. 
Uh, on a related note, I never talk about Tyler Chatwood anymore. <laughs> uh, J.D. Davis, who had a really good year with the Mets. He had 307, 369, 527, uh, 136 weighted runs created. Plus, he was basically a good bit, a good bet on hitting the ball hard uh, in the air because he had been with Houston for the previous two seasons, 180 plate appearances, you know, didn't really do all that much. Uh, but I remember in 2018, uh, he, you know, I had kind of pointed out that in extremely small samples the year before in 2017, he had an elite air ball exit velocity uh, hitting the ball in the air. So line drives and fly balls, almost 98 miles an hour. And that was eighth of 540 guys. So this year, 91st percentile hard hit. Now, my only disappointment here is that the Mets, who had uh, one of the worst bullpens in team history, couldn't find more time for him to pitch because <laughs> he's got a cannon. He's not really much of a defender. If there's anybody who should be a two-way player, it should be J.D. Davis. So, Carlos Beltran, please make this happen. That, that would make me so happy. Did you see the um, uh, the uh, video that you Darvish did recently? Uh, I don't know, but he is the, he is the Twitter man of the year. He did a video, and admittedly, I'm going off a translation on Reddit, so take it. With wow, you. reliable. <laughs> he did it because he did he did this in in, uh, in Japanese, and he was asked who the five toughest hitters he he faced in 2019 were. And his list was number one, Christian Yelich, number two, Cody Bellinger, number three, Josh Bell, and number four, J.D. Davis. Wow. And he's, the, the translated quote was, when I faced him in spring, I knew right then he was, he was special, and even I even told my teammates that. Now in the offseason, I have some people I know over at other clubs, and some of it asked me what I think about J.D. Davis. And when I was writing my text to them, I got goosebumps just thinking about what kind of player he is. I, I assume J.D. Davis has this framed on his <laughs> wall. Also, do you think he put Christian Yelich number one like in response to the giant Twitter shade that Yelich <laughs> threw on him? By the way, Cubs and Brewers opening day next year. <laughs> um, I have one more bonus guy, and I only realized this today because I'm, I'm putting together an article uh, that Matt asked for of kind of like the most interesting StatCast moments of the year, like hardest this, fastest that, whatever. And I realized that one of the most unknown guys in baseball is actually going to top two of my categories, Pedro Severino. I'll let you think about what team he's on for a second. The Orioles. It's okay if you didn't know that. Um, he had the single fastest pop time to second base this year at 1.75 seconds. And he also tied with a couple of guys, had the least likely hit of the year, uh, a 1% hit probability on a 58 degree launch angle pop-up that's an out. Pretty much every single time, except for when three Kansas City fielders watch it fall between them because nobody was that close to it. Got ruled a single and an RBI, not an error. Um, he also, someone reminded me on Twitter, had a three-homer day in June. Pedro Severino. Who knew? Who knew? Um, that's all we've got. I can't let our last show of the year end on Pedro Severino. Uh, all due respect to him. So uh, thank you for listening to the show this year. We do have a lot of fun stuff coming next year. Infield defense, as I said, I swear will be out in January. You can do fun things like, say, Nolan Arenado was plus 17 as a third baseman, but plus 14 where third baseman stand and plus three where shortstop stand. Maybe Nolan Arenado is a good shortstop. Uh, and thanks again for listening. Matt and I always do the show with a smile on our faces. Uh, have a great holiday season, and we will catch you in January. This is the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 